Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast and I will be your host. There will not be a co-host this week and if it's your first time here, usually how the show works is I pick a film, I pick a co-host, we get together, we have a good time, we talk about the film. That's not going to be this episode, no. This, as you will have seen by the title of the episode or by the screen art that I created for the social media post to go along with it on either Twitter or Instagram, link is in the show notes if you want to follow us. We're going to be having a conversation with the one and only Marshall Teague, star of such wonders of the world as the legend that is Roadhouse, the interesting uh, project that is U.S. Seals 2, and the, well, the debut, really, of the Scott Adkins and Isaac Florentine team-up that is Special Forces. Marshall is in all of those films as a bad guy, a supporting character, and the lead actor, respectively. He's also done a bunch of other stuff that we kind of mention and kind of don't, and we talk about everything and anything in between. This is the second time I've done this intro because I'm really trying to not make it a long one because this episode is super long as it is. I do want to give a massive shout out to Marshall Teague and to once again say thank you so much for your time. We went four hours. We were not going to. We were not supposed to. And you will hear as this uh, episode goes on, we start off much more formal, much more sort of uh, usual, I think is the nicest way to say it. And by the end of it, we might as well have been drinking because we we're just we're just talking about everything and anything. And I'm not going to lie. It's great. We had a great time. And I think we're going to do it again. You'll hear as it goes on. You'll see that we're going to just we're just going to go and you're just going to have to come with us. This is a journey. So. Either get comfortable or take breaks, whichever one works for you. But we uh we don't do a very good job of staying on the rails, so I'm beginning to think that I'm the problem. I can't blame my guests anymore. Damn it, I shouldn't get blame my guests anyway. I've given away my secrets. It's me. I'm the problem. And I do apologize if this is your first time here and you've come here specifically for Marshall. Uh, I'm not usually this incoherent. Like I said, Marshall uh, and I had a blast recording this, and after the Lauren Avedon episode. I honestly didn't think that I'd be saying that again, uh, but both of them are fantastic people, and uh, I really, really hope that more people will check out his films if they haven't seen them. I intend to check out a few that I haven't seen that are more recent, because I genuinely am curious now. He was just a fantastic person to have on the show, and I 100% will have him back on again, because... Uh, yeah, you, you'll hear and things are, things will happen. Either way, I don't want to make this intro super long, so enjoy, buckle up, and just, just let it wash over you. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Just sit back, relax, and I'll see you in the outro.
So, ladies and gentlemen, we're here, we're live in the room, and we have a very, very special guest joining us today, Marshall Teague, who, as you will have seen and heard in the intro, he is the one of the main characters in the films that we're going to be talking today, definitely the main character in Special Forces, at least. And I just want to thank Marshall for coming on to the show. It was it was a really big surprise when I saw you follow the podcast uh, a few months ago now. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Scott, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here with Action Addicts. Couldn't think of a better place to spend an afternoon. Well, you know, I remember we had Lauren Avedon on a while back now, and it was after I had a conversation with him who some people would say is a 90s DTV star, and I'm one of them, but as he quite rightly said, realistically, he only did two films. And people remember him, but I feel like because there are so many people that weren't making their films in that specific era, they don't get that same recognition. And it was when we were kind of chatting that I sort of wanted to make a conscious effort to have people on that should be as recognized but aren't just simply because of when they made their films rather than the quality of their abilities or the quality of the final film. And I, I definitely think that people such as yourself and some of the co-stars in both films, that applies to. Well, you know, there's people forget that, you know, when you see today's films, you're looking at a lot of capes and red S's on the chest and people flying around and it's all done on green screen. And they forget that in the day when we did our action films, there was no wire work. You know, there wasn't any green screen, so to speak, uh, to any great degree. Everything we did in those films in those days was uh, straight up. You know, you could either do it or you couldn't do it. And if you couldn't do it, they would try to get someone in there to make you, to help you look good. Uh, but in the cases of most of the people I worked with, and the people you know, they didn't need somebody to come and make them look good. They they could do it all themselves, and it's a prideful it's a prideful thing, you know it's a very prideful thing. And uh, and I, I'm glad that you make people aware of this, you know, in in your way that uh, when in our day in our time, and I say our day, I'm still working, but in that time in that genre, uh, it was either you can or you can't, you know, and that's pretty pretty plain, you know, just straight up. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll be honest, when I, cause, uh, I always glance over all the IMDb pages to double check everything. And I was very, very happy to see that it, you've got like six that are still listed as upcoming. So clearly the demand has not worn off. <laughs> no, no, thank goodness it has not. No, we have several in the upcoming, you know, we've got two films slated for this year. And, uh, I am also working on one that I co-wrote with my partner, Kevin McAfee, and it's a film we're hoping to do with uh, Chuck Norris. Oh, Chuck, oh. Chuck and I go back a long way, so so we're hoping to get that done this year. Oh, well, I, I wish you the best of luck with that. That would be, uh, that would definitely be something to look, to, to look forward to. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you, I'm going to have to ask you about that, sorry, just quickly. Is, is, do you know him through Please. martial arts, or was that something completely different that got you in touch? He and I actually tried to figure out how long we had known each other. And yes, it's all started in the martial arts. And we gave up counting at about four and a half decades. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we've, been, <laughs> we've been involved in each other's lives for that long. And he is probably one of the 
of my dearest friends, and I mean that sincerely. This is not Marshall going, oh, yeah, I'm friends with Chuck Norris. No, he is truly one of our dearest friends. He and his wife, his family, we're all very, very close. And uh, I, I count that, count my lucky stars there. He's an incredible man who has done incredible work over the years. He does so much on the outside that people don't know with kids. And other. We've, my wife and I have been involved with them for over 20 years, uh, his organization, Kickstart. So, yeah, I could say, yeah, we're friends. But it did start in the martial arts, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I feel like when I remembered Special Forces, because I, I watched it, uh, uh, not when it came out, but I watched it sort of between 2005 and 2007 for the very first time. Sure. Um, and yeah. I I always remember your character as more gun-focused than hand-to-hand focused, which is why when I rewatched uh, U.S. Seals 2 and bits of Special Forces, um, I actually had kind of forgotten just how much of your stuff did feature spinning roundhouse kicks, backhook kicks, and some really intricate choreography, because I think if you have something that stands out compared to everybody else in the cast, which for you was very accurate gun handling technique, uh, you look like a soldier for obvious reasons, but that makes that's the part that stays in your head. And then when you go back, you sort of look at it and you go, no, actually, you're holding your own with Michael Worth, with Sophia Crawford, with Daniel Southworth, Andy Cheng, and Scott Adkins in, in Special Forces. And it's just one of those things where I think because you stood out so much as a soldier type, you know, you have that look that I, I feel like it, you get yeah. the fact that you are also a martial artist can sometimes go past people. And I think it did for me the very first time I watched these films, you know? Well, you know, and that's and that's rightfully it happens. You know, yes, I am a former military. I'm also a former deputy sheriff in two states. I, I trained a lot of officers in my time. I am an instructor, you know, not only of martial arts, but of, of weapons. Weapons and weapon safety is something that I demand when I'm on the set. And I also want, and this is interesting, I want the people I'm working with, and not all, and most of them do not have uh, weapons training. So uh, I try to work with them, and they're very open to it, to make sure that they can look as good as they can possibly look. And when you look around, you don't see them walking around with their finger in the trigger well or doing something stupid like holding it up next to their head. you know. And I want them to look good. So if I can partake that knowledge to them, along with what I can do anyway, which is quite natural, and then they finally say, oh, yeah, and he's a martial artist also? It's kind of like, yay, I win. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. Well, it, it, it is quite funny. It's it's something that one of my former guests is a former soldier himself. His name's Chris Barreras. He's he's actually trying to uh, move into the industry to be sort of the, the military tactical advisor type role. And mm-hmm. so so many shows have him on to talk about whether or not a film is authentic, whether or not the way that people move whether the way they act is is correct and i got him on to talk about triple x you know the most unrealistic over-the-top vin diesel film because it's 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 great to have that knowledge and it's great to have films that do have that accuracy but it's also nice to have films that just go all out and and don't put as much thought into that i like both it's entertainment exactly it's entertainment yeah 
you know, there's a lot of stuff up there, the spinning of the guns and the shooting over their heads and the backward stuff and the upside down and all that. It looks great. Uh, if I were a person that they were coming after, you know, I would just say, that's the person I want chasing me because I know they're not going to hit me. That's great. You know, please let that person come after me. But it does look good. I think it's I think it's got its place. There's no question about it. But at the same time, it's there's also a place when people can look at a film like yourself and they can say those people are handling it correctly. They're moving correct. Their body motion is right. Their forward, their forward emphasis on their weapons, dynamic tension. All When you lay all those terminologies on people and they come back and say, yeah, I saw that. OK, then, you know, you've you've uh, kind of accomplished something. You help that actor will never forget what I taught them. They'll never forget it. You know, yeah. even though whatever, it'll still come back to them no matter what. And they'll make an effort to make themselves look look better. And they will, you know, which is great. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard stories of, of people that do get trained by people who've been in the service. And then they go to another film where they don't necessarily have that same wealth of knowledge. And they end up basically passing that on to other actors because you know maybe that that particular production doesn't have it and i think that's nice that people can do that for each other it's 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 really kind of a you're you're there and you you have a what i I call um a short time family when you're working with people and you're working with them that close especially when you're kicking them across the room like ellie danker you know like kicking him all over the place you know and but when they come out at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, you've got a family and, and they will. They'll take that knowledge. And as you said, they go to the next one. And it happens a lot. I think you know this, though. It happens a lot where you go to a show and they don't have a tech advisor. You know, they might have a tech advisor for something, but not necessarily that. And uh, it's really up to. And when that actor takes it and says, look, come over here, I'll show you what was taught to me. That's that's a very nice compliment. And in U.S. U.S. SEALs, that was, you know, Special Forces, that was the case. That really was the case. I had myself and uh, as some others that were there that had, a, you know, some uh, former knowledge of military. And we worked with them. And I think they all look pretty darn good. I think they look really good. I, I also think U.S. SEALs specifically it solves one of the problems that I hear said a lot now, which is how do you show off a bunch of people whose skills is martial arts when the bad guys have guns? And it's like, well, you put them on an island where you can't fire guns. <laughs> and it's it's such a simple solution, but it works. And then you can have these these wonderful choreographed fight sequences and not have to sit there going, but they just shoot them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, that was a small thing that was added to the film and and of course, you could take it and take it apart if you want to. Yeah. But it was a, it was a it was a problem. How do you solve the problem? You take the guns away from everybody. Simply, you just take it away. Now all you have are you bring the people that have that uh, that technique to be as deadly without a gun, you know, or as dangerous without a gun. And then you put them together, and then what you've got is some pretty incredible fighting. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely think U.S. Seals too. Like, I, I remember the first time I watched it, it felt like I was watching, is, this isn't a, an insult, but it felt like it's the closest that, like, an American version of a Hong Kong 1980s film 
had Gotham. And because obviously the involvement of Andy Cheng helped a lot with that. But even just immensely, the, immensely, immensely incredible. But the the physical performances of the people that they cast, this was a this was a discussion we had with Lauren. Not everybody, even if you're a very talented martial artist, you can't necessarily perform the choreography of the crazy stuff that they were doing in Hong Kong because that wasn't even so much are you a martial artist? That was are you a stuntman and an acrobat? And they're very different skill sets. Gymnasts, acrobats. Yes, martial arts thrown in there, but what those people did in films, I mean, we I used to watch it myself and, and I'm sitting there going, my goodness, how does that person and they're doing it, that triple spinning back back kick, kick that they do. That's people have no idea how difficult that is. And to land it, I mean it's it's so precise. And when you've got a director, and I need to say this. Isaac Florentine, who has a lifetime of martial arts in his history. He is devout, die-in-the-wool martial artist, and he has watched and has followed all the films that you're talking about, every single one of them, to the umph degree. And, and when he did uh, U.S. Seals 2, that little thing that everybody makes fun of about the sounds. <laughs> I, do, I, was, I was waiting on it. You know, I was waiting on you to do that. But the sounds of turning the it was his way of just kind of adding back to what he got uh, from them in film in film wise. You know, at the time they did it, it was it was very well accepted. Yeah. You watched the old film. You didn't say a word about it, did you? Nope. You know, all all the swooshing. To be fair, you, you can see what's in the background, right? <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I'm so, looking at it. A I, I wouldn't have said a word about swoosh sound effects and B, Isaac Florentine worked on Power Rangers. So <laughs> I'm looking at the Red Ranger right there. I, Isaac's, Isaac's one of those rarities. He, you know, he's, he's, he's such a kind man. You know, he's such a kind man, but a knowledgeable man. And he's a very good director. Yeah. Very good director. I used to make money on him every day. This is something you don't know. Nobody knows this. He is so in tune with what is going on. It got to the point we would make bets, $5, a dollar here, a dollar there, on how many steps. When we drove, you know, everybody got picked up at a certain place. Then we'd go by and pick up Isaac and we'd go to the set. Real early in the morning, the sun was barely up. Sometimes it wasn't up. But we'd make a bet, everybody. We just, it just got there. How many steps he would take before he said, Marshall, I was thinking about this shot. He would, I can't tell you how much money I made off him. <laughs> Just from that one thing, because I knew him that well. Marshall, I was thinking, and it's the first thing out of his mouth in the morning. His mind is working like a computer. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to be so, I mean, everybody, I mean, before, I didn't even have to say anything. $2 bet today. I'm betting $2. It's three steps or one step, you know, whatever. But it got to be a joke, but it was a joke because he cared that much about what he was shooting. Yeah, he really did. He never stopped. I think the man went to sleep and dreamed the next scene. I honestly believe that. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. But a wonderful, wonderful guy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's so funny because I think without question, Undisputed 2 is the film that introduced him to a much wider audience. But if you go back to the 90s, he's working with people like Gary Daniels and Dolph Lundgren 
and yourself, Michael Worth. And, you know, he's got this progression that you can follow, including his time on various Power Rangers shows doing the stunts and the choreography. And it's just, it's a fascinating journey to see. You can literally see with every film, he gets better at some aspect of it, which is not something, yeah, you, you can't always say that about every filmmaker. But with him, you can literally put the films in order and see what worked in this one, we keep, and what doesn't work, it stays in that one, which is, is not a skill that everybody possesses. No, not at all. Not at all. And, and well said. You put it about as well as I've ever heard it said. And uh, just just before we actually start talking about US Seals 2 in more detail, I was trying to remember the exact title so I get this right, but obviously we were saying that you're a martial artist, and I and I knew this, but I couldn't remember the exact phrasing. So when you were in the service, I, I'm correct in saying that you were the heavyweight kickboxing champion of NATO. That is correct. So I just wanted to put that out there because it's not just that you had actual service film experience, but you also had proper full contact competitive experience. So well, I I, ex- I actually fought on uh, after I got out of the service. I continued to fight. You know, and uh, different places, but because of the tr- uh, my transference from military to deputy sheriff, police officer, that kind of stuff, it was one academy into another, and just go to work. I just kept it going. But yes, when I was over there, it was myself and a gunny sergeant who was the boxer. He was a middleweight, and it was me, which I was heavyweight. He, I was a kick, ended up being a kickboxing champion, and he ended up winning the middleweight boxing championship. So we were partners. We didn't even like each other at first, but we were stuck. We were stuck in a, in a security situation where we worked security for Admiral Isaac Kidd, who was the commander of the Sixth Fleet, the whole Sixth Fleet. So we were around him day in and day out. And I, it is my understanding, I could be wrong, but it's my understanding that he purposely pulled me from where I was to his command because I was a fighter. And the gunny sergeant and I were coupled together. And at first, we didn't like each other till we fought uh, matches in France one time. As a matter of fact, it was in uh, Villefranche, and we had a match there. It was an intermilitary match. They they would call in and say, who do you have in these weight classes? We thought we had put on a little entertainment for the boys. Well, the boys never saw it. You know, the boys never saw it. What it was full of was officers and dignitaries that they would come together for this now today you wouldn't be able to do that in the military, and I'm not sure they I'm not I'm not sure they could have done it in the time, but they did it anyway. And um, <laughs> uh, the Gunny and I were somewhat inebriated after the match, trying to cool off. We were in a place in Villefranche, and on the second tier, we ended up having a discussion about he didn't like the way I, my kicks. He, he was telling my kicks couldn't break an egg, and I I think I mentioned to him that he had a left left hook that looked more like a left slap. And the next thing we know, we're out in front of the bar in a fountain. That in, in the European fountains sometimes get covered with a green, mossy scum, so to speak. And yeah, yeah. we ended up in that fountain uh, trying to hit each other and couldn't do anything, quite frankly. We were both slipping and sliding. And the admiral was coming down from dinner, which we didn't know. And he stopped and came, walked up to the side of the fountain where everybody in the bar and around was crowded around. And then all of a sudden we heard this command, attention on deck. Of course, everybody snapped to attention and the walls parted like Moses and the Red Sea, you know, and he walked up and he said, uh, this, I'll never forget it. He said, Gunny, sir, 
you want to explain to me what you and the petty officer are doing in the fountain? Uh, sir, yes, sir. The petty officer and I were discussing water survival school, sir. Yeah, which is crap, and he knew it. <laughs> and Admiral looked at me and said, petty officer, you want to tell me what that what you guys were doing? He said, what he said, sir. So needless to say, we were caught and we were we got our punishment, which wasn't bad. And we continued to fight until, you know, command was changed and, and we got new orders. So it, it was a, one small little tidbit. But after that, the gunny sergeant and I were like that. Close friends. Yeah. You know, it just became that. So when we fought, I supported him, trained him. He trained me. Couldn't have asked for better. But the Admiral was the most protected man in the Sixth Fleet. <laughs> before, but just before we start talking about U.S. SEALs too, obviously I think the other thing that people might recognize you from would be Roadhouse. Was that just after you came out of the military or was that over? No, Roadhouse, Roadhouse was done in 1988. That's when we shot it. It was released in 89. I, I was retired out of the military in the 70s. Oh, okay. I was way back then. I remember, I came out of the military, became a cop, and I was a cop. Oh, yes. Sorry, that while, makes more sense. Know, I was a deputy sheriff, and then I took it upon myself and said, you know, I was undercover, and I studied acting to be a better undercover cop because I didn't want to get my butt blown off. And I had no intentions of being an actor, believe it or not. I had no intentions of being an actor. I just wanted to be better so I wouldn't get shot Yeah, or or worse. And there was something about the training that I took that got into me. And I said, I have to find out what this is. So I just one day said, I'm going to leave, go to Hollywood and be an actor. And I'll never forget the statement. My sheriff uh, at the time, uh, the name was Barksdale. He, he looked at me and said, don't you have to have a personality to be an actor? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't catch on at first. He said, well, you don't have one. He said, don't you have to have a sense of humor? And I said, well, I guess. He said, well, you don't have that either. Good luck. So anyway, it was the road was hard. Let's just put it that way. But uh, things have come along quite nicely. I Yeah, I mean, being in being in Roadhouse, but just to be in the film was a big step. You know, this is something that uh, I always remember Daniel Southworth saying quite recently, in fact, is that if you haven't had the, the most successful career, which uh, isn't something you should think of anyway, but if you are having one of those depressive days where you're thinking, you know, this hasn't quite worked out how I hoped, if you look back on all the stuff you've actually done, that's more than 99% of all the other people that said they were going to be an actor and have nothing, because that's the reality for most people. So actually, yeah, this is a big deal that I've got all these roles. Yeah, well, it is, and you know, and and speaking, of, you know, speaking of uh, the Roadhouse character, you know, uh, Jimmy Reno. Originally, that was offered to Scott Glenn. Oh, okay, yeah. Scott Glenn was that was originally offered to Scott Glenn. He didn't want to do it. Uh, it might have not been the size he wanted to do, but he also might not have wanted to get into the fighting end of it. Yeah, uh, a, a friend that I actually was brought in to Joel Silver, who was the executive producer for Lethal Weapon to train uh, Mel Gibson on what it was like to be the character that he played. And when Roadhouse came along, they told me I was going to work on Lethal Weapon, which I didn't. It, it didn't work, but they remembered me, and the guy brought him back and said, you remember that guy that trained uh, Mel? He's the guy you ought to bring in here for Jimmy Reno. 
And I came in the interview and uh, Joel Silver and uh, Rowdy Harrington looked at me and said, um, I understand you like to, you're, you're a good fighter. You like to fight. I said, no, I'm a good fighter and I love to fight. <laughs> and yes, I have done other roles. Uh, they said, you've got the role you start in two weeks. That was my interview That's for Roadhouse. Good. And I took a character that was not, and you look at, you look at Roadhouse and you look at the characters in Roadhouse. No, I didn't have the biggest role, but I had one of the most memorable roles Yes. You will ever see in one, which made that role huge. No, I agree. And I, I think you get that a lot with character actors, especially where it's not the, how long you were in a film that really matters. It's whether or not you can leave an impression because you That's find that exactly. a lot. You find that where, you know, people are talking about this this character that they remember from a film. But then when you rewatch the film, you sort of going, oh, yeah, they weren't actually in it that much. But it doesn't matter because what they're in and what they do is what sticks with you. Exactly right. Exactly right. I have always believed it. Does, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've had huge, you know, pay, you know, roles, and I've had little roles, but it, I always look for that one little speck, that one piece that I can dig my teeth into and grab onto, and make it grow just by what I do to it. And that's been, you know, and it's that particular philosophy has fared well with me over the years. So when it came to U.S. Seals 2 then, what was the audition process for that like? Um, I didn't have an audition. Okay. <laughs> Isaac Florentine knew me. And he also knew, like you, of my background. And he said, I need somebody that, uh, one, has acting chops, which you do. I need somebody that has a military background, which you have. And I need somebody that can fight, which you can. And you're my friend. Would you do the role? Yeah. Perfect. That was it. <laughs> that was my interview. So you you literally said yes, no script, not sure of what you're going to do. Just No, help. just because it was Isaac. Yeah. Just because it was Isaac. And Isaac's a man of honor. And he doesn't, he doesn't pull your chain. You know, he just doesn't. It's not his style. If he believes in you. And he look, he never, he always looks you straight in the eye. And he, when he asks you, he's, he's dead serious. So when you, you'll know, you know, if he says, I was thinking maybe, uh, no, he just asked me flat out, you can do this. Would you do this? Yes. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's a shame <laughs> in some respects that more people aren't like that because it would cut down a lot of industry time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely correct on that. I wish they would. But not everybody is like that. No. Isaac's a special Isaac is a very special breed of person. And you know when you work for him, he expects nothing less than your best. There isn't a 100% that he expects. He expects 150% of your effort. And whatever the genre is, he expects 150%. And you give it to him. You know, that's just simply it. I don't know how to put it any other way. You know, you... You give it all or go home, basically. So um, um, you might not know the answer to this. I'm just curious now. It is Was it a similar situation for the other actors? Because all of them were basically skilled martial artists. And some of them, like Sophia Crawford, was more known for her stunt work than her acting. So would it, is it the case that these were people that Isaac knew? Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it there was there was there was the readings for the roles, you know, the different roles that were in there. There were different, but also there was a prerequisite, you know, of you have to be a functioning martial artist and have a specialty or whatever your specialty is. We'll work with it, however we can, you know. And, and of course, when you've got uh, when you've got Tang there doing the fight choreography, wow, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's that man is so good. It's just crazy. I mean, what he can do. But again, what you said earlier about also being from the uh, that athletic. I don't even know what all to throw into their their the acrobatics. Yeah, that, school that, that, that school. they do. That school. That if you're from that, you're 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 already up here. You're coming in at a very high level, and you know that the people you're going to be working with have to be up there in order that for them to do what you're he's seeing with his eyes, what he knows he can do. He sees the people. He looks at their physicalities what they can do, understands a little bit of their background and knows how to work with them. And he makes it work beautifully. And plus everybody was pretty darn good at what they did. Yes. That, that Sophia is, was. Sorry, I was just going to say, that's overwhelmingly evident when you watch the film because they don't, yes. uh, they don't have to pull any punches with camera angles. It, they can literally just let the, let the people speak for themselves. Exactly. I mean, the chain fight, the chain fight, that was, you know, that was, Pretty amazing, yes. You know, and the, and the bow staff, what the work he was doing with his bow staff, all the weapons that were used, the swords, everything. Karen Kim, was she is she a predominant sword person? No, but she knew how to work it a little bit. And when she took the choreography, put it together, and it was it worked beautifully. You couldn't see a flaw in. No, no, that, that that's impressive to to now learn that she's not. She wasn't previously a, like a sword specialist. That's, that just no. goes to show how good it was. But Andy Chang was right there with her the whole time. You know, he had, you know, he had an assistant there that worked, you know, would take what he was telling him to do. So when he could go off and choreograph another piece, right, his person would be there watching it and helping her do the moves and the choreography, the sword work with the people she was working with. And uh, she was great. She was just wonderful. I think you just hit a nail on the head as well that I feel like it is almost been lost a little bit these days because of CGI and green screen. But the stunt performers that you're fighting in inverted commas, if they're not up to this, to that standard that you're trying to go at, it doesn't matter how well you can perform. You won't look good. And nine no. times out of 10, the best fight scenes, the stunt guys are the most talented people in the room. But they make you look like you are, and that's something that I feel like doesn't get the credit that even now it's still I still see people make the mistake of of assuming that where the camera is looking is where all the skill is, but their skill is making that person look good exactly. I would give an example, and uh because I'm a big fan of the John Wick series, yep, you know the choreography that goes into those fights is incredible the weapons work that goes into that with and you know that keanu reeves you know and i'll say this works very very hard very hard i mean he is almost manic about it uh his weapons work his judo his jujitsu whatever he's doing and moves he's doing in this work with the belt 
you know, the belts and all that yep. other stuff. It's people think that's easy. It's not. It's very, very difficult. And if you don't work it in to where your mind's just automatically going there, it's going to show on film. And because of the great training that he gets, it translates to film beautifully. And that's basically what we've all done, you know, in the 90s when we were doing, you know, Special Forces, U.S. SEALs 2, Roadhouse, all those. It all came down to making sure it looked precise and not forced, just flow. It also, I think in Keanu Reeves' case especially, he kind of, because he said this in multiple interviews, is it, it's not a case of he himself has these skills. In fact, when he did the first John Wick, he hadn't done a lot of martial arts for a long time. But I think the difference between him and the way that the John Wick films, because they're made by a predominantly stunt team focused filmmakers, they gave him the months required to actually practice and get his skills up. Whereas I see it a lot, especially in television, but it's also in, in some films, even the big, the really big budgeted ones, they give them six weeks to train and then we're going to start shooting. Well, for some people, six weeks might be enough to be convincing, but for most people, it's really not. No, very well said. I mean, coming from that, I mean, I had people on shows that I worked with that, wow, I mean, came in, I don't know anything. I, you know, have you, have you ever held a weapon? No, I have never held a weapon. I have never fired a weapon. I have never thrown a kick. Um, you know, this, how can you make me look good? You know, a, a dangerous place, a movie I did where Corey Feldman was in there and Corey didn't know how to kick or anything. You know, he'd tell you, hey, guys, I'm, 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 I'm an eight-legged giraffe. I'm clumsy. I don't know how to kick. You know, I, I, you know, I can mimic a rock star on stage throwing my leg up in the air with an air guitar, but I can't kick. But he was open enough, even though he, he didn't have six weeks, he had days. Yeah. You know, and work with him enough to make him look believable because he, he didn't want to fail and I didn't want him to fail. And uh, so we worked with him. And, you know, yes, he had somebody working with him. This uh, double did a good job, but Corey got into it. But that's, you're right. Six weeks is not, is not a lot. I mean, that's about what we had for Roadhouse, six weeks. You know, uh, five, six weeks. Uh, but the good part about that is we came into it in shape, ready. Yeah. We were already stressed out because we were already training anyway. It just had to come down to the choreography of everything coming together, you know, in a very complex fight that took place on a beach. And uh, how do you make that look? You know, how do you move along in that the movement? And it's the same way in all these movies you're talking about. It goes from here to there to there to there. How do we get through these? I call them rounds. And I think that's what Benny Arquitas used to call it. We're going through the rounds. We're going to do a round here, a round here, a round here, and a round there. And it's got to look like each one just flows into the next. And uh, part of that is the editors, but part of that has to be from good training and understanding your place and where you need to be. Yeah. Now, fun funnily enough, I was just going to mention Benny Arquitas because I was – I was trying to remember if I'm thinking of the right film, if it was a different one, but I'm right in saying he trained Patrick for the, the fight scenes in that one, right? Because I, I remember... He was, he was a fight coordinator. He was a fight yeah, coordinator. Yeah. And Charlie, Charlie Paterni was the stunt coordinator. 
That's right. Yeah. See, I was in my head. I was. I couldn't remember whether it was Benny or if it was Charlie. But you've just answered that. <laughs> and, and Benny's Benny was very hands on. You know, all the way up. I mean, with all the fighting, he was hands on right there. He wanted to make sure it looked as good as it could possibly be. I mean, the pool stick fight. He had a certain. You notice it looks like a looks like a ballet, but it's moving at high speed. It's moving at very high speed. But uh, because of that wonderful training that uh, Benny was able to convey to everybody and everybody listened, you know, you shut up and you listen and you walk through it and you take it home with you and you walk through it again and again and again until it becomes second nature and you go up there and you do it. You know, that's, you know, we did that great big, huge fight that was the bar room with a stick. That was the last day of shooting. Oh, okay. All, that, that entire fight took place in one day. One day. And that's a lot to get into one day. Yeah. Yeah, see, this is... The, the, I, I know I'm beating a dead horse and ev everybody listening and, and yourself will, will feel the same way, but it's when you hear stories like that that it really annoys me that you're still having to fight to get recognition out. Oscars and award shows and you know Ben Benny in particular had a great story about how Patrick was struggling because he was a dancer and he had to adapt how he taught Patrick and it worked and I feel like that that lesson can be applied to anything when people are struggling with something it's not always possible for them to adapt sometimes the other person has to kind of adapt and be their solution for them and then the only person that gets that end goal recognition is whoever's name is on the poster and i understand exactly. that that's how it's always going to be but it's a shame that there isn't something that for the people that are in the know and like to dive in and watch all of the behind the scenes stuff it still feels like they're trying to hide all of that and you think people that want to know that are going to find it out stop trying to make it like a secret club you have to try and get into you know yeah well benny was smart enough to have watched uh patrick Patrick was thinking he has to have power and all this and everything like this, and it didn't work for him. You know, he had a natural flow of body movement from dance. Yeah. You know, from dance. He had this incredible, incredible movement by dance. And you'll see what Benny did is he said, okay, this power thing is not you. This power thing is Marshall. This is what Marshall does. And yes, he's going to bring it at you like this, but what you're going to do is you're going to flow in and around him because that's what you do. And you will strike in and around and move and strike. And the two came together and that's what it was. He took what was natural to uh, Patrick and he just made him crawl back in his own skin and just make it happen. And it taught him something. It taught Benny. Benny will tell you in a heartbeat. I didn't get it at first. You know, I, it took me a minute to try to what, what am I missing here with this guy? Because he trained so many fighters over the years. I mean, I used to train with Benny Tech <laughs> for so long, and he was used to me. But uh, he just finally had to step back, be the sensei that he is, and observe the, the student and say, ah, here are the strong points of this person that I'm going to expand upon. And make it make it come to life, and he did it great. And Patrick could did it without sweating the small stuff. 
he knew he could move like this. And he did. And it was natural. The, uh, uh, this isn't strictly speaking related to films, but you have just sure. hit a nail on a on a personal thing of mine, which is that anybody can have the title of sensei or teacher or instructor and just read from a book and say, this is how you do something. <laughs> but if you can't adapt to the person you're trying to teach, if you can't answer the questions that a student is asking you, then it doesn't matter if you if you're you know to, to education wise oh it's what the curriculum says well it might be but you've got an engaged student asking you questions answer them and they will naturally find more interest in what they're doing and they'll get more passionate about it so they'll keep going with it and pushing further and it's the same in martial arts because i'm lucky enough that i have really really double jointed wrists in both directions well, you do. goodness gracious yeah. So for those who can't see, I just demonstrated. So when I used to do Krav Maga, I was basically the second I walked in became the instructor's dummy because 30% of everything they try to show off doesn't work on me unless you really, really do it. So yeah. again, it's, it's using what you have and applying it in a different way. And it's, it's great to hear those sorts of stories that, you know, why are these films so remembered? Well, you've just answered that question. It's because the people working on them really believed in it and put everything they had into it and i and you don't always get that i feel like in some of the films in the same category today to me i see films today and you know marvelous people and i i I don't have any bad thing to say about it but it looks manufactured yeah to me uh looks like assembly line to me i look for the individuality of the character and I'm waiting for him to bring bring that uniqueness of himself into that role, whatever it is, instead of just worrying about how's the background look that's on green screen, or am I flying all right? Is my cape out here somewhere? They're all good people. I, I like I said, I don't. I, would I like to do one of them? Of course, I'd be a liar if I told you I didn't. Yeah. But um, I'm very proud to have been a part, and and still am a part of an era of action movies that were action, real action, not made up, not flying, not anything, just real action. And uh, people can say whatever they want to about it. Fine. I don't care. But you weren't there. They weren't there. I was. But if if you were entertained by it and you took the time to watch it, you see what I'm talking about. There wasn't any of this stuff. These are people just doing it because they came there to make it look good. So I applaud all people, all films, but there is a personal piece that I do find missing in some of them today. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I enjoy, I very much try to stay positive about all films. I don't even try and cover one if I really dislike it, unless there's something that I can apply to it to sort of give my own events but it's it's one of those really difficult conversations and i'm happy to that like you said everybody that works on them is still really good it's just a different style and i think everyone has their own preference to which one they prefer and you know talking about the choreography and what started that off topic but still on topic moment was that we started talking about andy chang's choreography on us seals 2 and uh that that does lead me into an obvious question which is that compared to the stuff you had done previously what was 
working with and performing Andy's choreography like compared to say someone like Benny's? Well, no, that, that's, that's as you put it very well. Uh, fast paced, high energy. He expected that. He worked at a exceedingly high rate uh, of speed. That's just that's just Andy. Yeah, and that's just the way he did things. He just and everybody and it worked for him because all the people there on the show were of that mindset. You know, high high speed, low drag. So there was no problem because what they did worked to match his energy. You know, they wanted to match his energy and his enthusiasm. And quite frankly, I found it an absolute pleasure. I always find it a pleasure when you go to work and the energy level is through the roof. I love that. You know, there's a time and place to draw it back for certain scenes. But when it comes to that kind of action, that, that there are no pads on the ground. If you look at it, you know, uh, on that movie, people hitting the ground and things like that, you don't see any big pads. No. You know, there's some when they fall from the roof, there's a pad there. But thank God there was a pad there. But most of these guys are hitting the ground. You know, they're hitting hard surfaces. They're working with hard surfaces. And because of the choreography that Andy, Andy Chang put in there, it was so precise that no one got hurt. Which no is the goal. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which says a lot for him. So if you're asking me what it was like to work with him, stellar. Excellent. I mean, Andy is one of those people that, again, he is in a lot of stuff but I don't think people realize they've seen him. And then I think once you make that mental connection of, oh yeah, that's Andy, you'll rewatch, well, not me, I know, but people will rewatch their favorite films and they'll go, oh wait, that's Andy. Or, you know, that's Andy. And I find that you get that with a lot where you get these performers where people don't realize that they've actually been watching them for years because they do such a good job of not stealing the spotlight. And I th I like U.S. Seals too. Like whenever I rewatch it, I like it because it's one of the rare times where he does kind of steal the spotlight, and rightly so, because I feel like that's sort of him going, "This is what I can do when I'm a character, not just someone involved with the stunt exactly. side of things." Yeah. And he deserved it. Yeah, you know he 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 was the ultimate nemesis when he came into the play with that blonde hair flying everywhere. You know, he was the ultimate nemesis. He was the unbeatable one, so to speak, kind of like Jimmy Reno in Roadhouse. Same kind of, you know, you bring him in, there he is. And yes, he did. He didn't kind of steal. He, he, he did steal that fight scene. <laughs> you know, and, he, and he did it masterfully. But that wasn't, that wasn't what he came in there to do. He came in to do his job. Yeah. He came in to do his job, and he did his job. He did it, he did it better than anybody. You know, so kudos for him. Big time. So, obviously, slight spoilers for a 20-year-old film, but uh, sadly, Major Nathan Donner does not make it to the end of the film. Did you, did you have fun filming your death sequence? I have had so many wonderful death sequences over the years. I have been told, <laughs> uh, you know, I've been told by fans that I hold the record of death scenes and, and films, and it's, it's, it's turned off into kind of a comical thing. Uh, I, I did one show not too long ago, and they brought me out a T-shirt that had a number on it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they put it on, you know, just for just for laughs, you know. But I, I it doesn't bother me. I mean, it did, you know, at one, at one time, you know, back, you know, before my mother was 
no longer w- with us. She, she used to say, do you live in this one? <laughs> you know, and, you know, sadly, mother, no, I don't live in this one, but I go out really well, you know, and well, you, you're, you're going to, you're going to live in one of them. I said, one of these days, yes, I'll live in one of them, but no, I have no problem with that. You try to, you try to die gallantly. That's what you do. You try to die gallantly. Yeah, because I I know some actors prefer it if their character dies, because again, it it kind of in in a sort of cheaty type of way, but it does kind of make you stick out. But in this film, it doesn't, because pretty much everybody dies. It's one of those things pretty, that you pretty much, yeah, yeah. When when I rewatched it a while back uh, for uh, someone else's show, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that pretty much everyone doesn't make out of this. It, it's just, but again, that because the the fights are so high energy, so intense. And like you say, you've got the over-exaggerated whoosh effects, which just, again, it makes it charming in my eyes. I didn't, I, re- I, I didn't remember the sort of more dramatic moments because whilst they are good, that's not why I remember it because I'm watching it pretty much for the action because it is yeah. just, in my opinion, that's what the film is there to sell you. And the rest is good, which... In and of itself is good because if it was if it wasn't it would kind of derail it. But that's not why anyone's watching it. It's, we're, we're, we 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 want to see you guys just go nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly right, and we do. And 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 you know you always have one thing to say. You know when you die in a film, as well. I guess I won't be around for the sequel. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to be bringing me back. You know that kind of stuff. And uh, but. You know, it's it's fine. It's just it's just part of what we do. It's part of what the character you play, and your the idea behind each and every character, whether I die or whether I live, is to make it as memorable as I possibly can. And at the end of the day, when it's over and done, they say, "Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap." And I can walk away and smile and say, "Yeah," and we had fun and it was great. And you walk away. You don't look back. You you just walk away with a smile. So. Did you actually finish and, and actually walk away when your character was gone, or were you still on this film, kind of helping in the background? Because obviously, well, I helped just... helped in the background, but they yeah. shoot everything out of sequence. So you might have died yesterday, but you're back in a scene today because this is what we're seeing, you know. And so it happens all the time. No film that I know of is shot in sequence. No, no. Every everything is shot out of sequence, you know. Uh, I'm not trying to bring this up overly, but, you know, I mean, I died in Roadhouse in the first two weeks. Yeah. We did that fight at the beginning, but we had so much more to do down the road. So, yeah, I was dead, but I was back. You know, so how do you look? Oh, fine. It takes my throat. It's great. <laughs> so when you what, do you think when you look back that uh, U.S. Seals 2 is one of those films that you're happy that people still associate with you? Oh, absolutely. I have no, I have, why would I not? You know, I, I got to, I, got I to agree. With, why would I not? I got to work with people I like. Yeah. I got to work with people I like. I mean, there, there are people I've heard in this business. I'm not going to say names, but there are people say, I couldn't stand those people. They were a bunch of butts, you know, and I'm saying, God, that's a shame, man. I can't say that. Yeah. I can't say that because where I've worked, and the shows I've done, I've done quite a few. I've had a pretty good experience on every single one of them. I don't think I have one, really, that it was 
a really bad experience. I just don't think it happened. It's in some respects, I feel like when people say that, that says more about them. Because I feel like that must mean that you're the type of person that everybody just instantly likes being in the room with. And in the short time we've been talking, oh, I, I kind of get that impression. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, we're we're sharing, we're sharing, you and I are sitting here sharing back and forth on your show, your podcast, we're sharing. But, uh, you know, I, to me, you're sitting in a chair right across from me and I'm having a ball. You know, that's that's how it feels to me. No, I, I appreciate and you're, that. And you're not, well, and you're knowledgeable. You know what you're talking about. I mean, do you hate it when somebody, you know, you know, doesn't know what they're talking about, but they ask you a question about what you do and you're, you know, basically you're sitting here going, seriously? Yes. You're, you're asking that question? I mean, you can't tell me you haven't had that happen. Oh, no. No, that's definitely happened. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I won't say which one it is, but it, it happened on one of my episodes where the, because I tend, I have different guests every time, like even if we're sure. just talking about a film. And uh, I tried to have some new people on. And for the most part, I've, I've always had successes. There's one episode, I won't say which one it is for people listening, but the person in question, don't get me wrong, we had a great conversation, but it was blatantly obvious within the first five minutes that this was going to be like pulling teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, mm, yeah, that was, a, that was a mistake, but you know, it's a learning experience. It is, you know, and you have to take that and you go, well, look what it did for you. It taught you, okay, be prepared. You know, yes. first and foremost, be prepared, be ready to rock and roll, have a backup plan and have an exit. You know, <laughs> if you could put that's a military terminology, always know your exit when you're going to do an exfil. You know, you just you've got to know that you've got to have that. You've got to have that in your head before you take on a mission. Know your exits. And the, the, the other thing I want to quickly sort of say, because I, I know you'll be listening, is um, a, fr a friend who's done multiple episodes on this podcast, Andy, we actually discussed Navy SEALs, the film mm -hmm. that technically, technically, this is a sequel to it. It's not. But the the difference between uh, their, shall we say, military accuracy, <laughs> where man Charlie Sheen is one of the characters that runs around with his gun in the air. Uh, oh. Compared to you. <laughs> <laughs> people can't see Marshall's reaction to that sentence, but it was about what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Less said than better. I hope they have. <laughs> I, I, I really don't have any place to go with that one. Nope, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll give Marshall a minute so we can get his silent laughter out. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Okay, I'm back. So, uh, just again, just 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 to sneak this one in before we move to special forces, um, because you mentioned Chuck Norris, and it wasn't until you said that that I then made the connection that obviously you were good friends. You are good friends. I keep done a while. I said were you are good friends with Chuck Norris. It would that by any chance be one of the reasons why you have been in so many episodes of Walker Texas Ranger by any chance? I don't know whether that's the reason. I, I know. Chuck, Chuck has always said to me, you know, I bring Marshall on because Marshall makes me step up to bat. Okay. And he said, he makes me step up to bat. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, because he's, he's a, he's a personality. I mean, Chuck Norris is a movie star. Yeah. 
plain and simple, he is a movie star. I am a character actor. And that's how, that's how I, I view myself as a character actor. And I like that analogy, by the way. You know, I, I don't say, I'm a, yes, I have done starring roles, but really what I, I think I am, truthfully, is, is a character actor. I like being a character actor. If you're if you're one thing, uh, I mean Chuck Norris is known as being Walker Texas Ranger. That's what he's known for, and he did it exceedingly well. But everybody looks to him to be Walker Texas Ranger. You know, I mean, after nine years of doing it, that's kind of it. But he brought me on it because there is no rules with a bad guy, and yeah. all I played was. There was no there was no rules in bad guys. So he gave me the opportunity to throw different things at him, which he wanted me to do. And he reacted to it. And uh, and and I think the friendship, and I'll be honest, I think the friendship had, you know, something to do with it. But I also you think of it, here's a man here's that that I've sparred with martial arts and everything. And we've got an episode where there's a sword use in it. One particular episode, and please don't kick me out because I can't remember. I think it's Revenge is the name of it or the episode. I'm not really sure. But in this particular episode, it's part of it. I mean, I found it quite comical, but there was I, I pulled out a sword on him in an office. And, you know, and I went at him with this sword, you know, with this thing. And but he said the only person I would trust coming at me with a sword is Marshall. I'm not going to hire some actor to come in here and give him a sword and say, okay, do what you're going to do. And we did. And, uh, but you know, you know, we're flying all over the office with this blade flying everywhere. But he said, I trust Marshall, which is something he's always said. You know, Marshall's going to tell you, I said, I've got to kick Marshall. And Marshall's going to say, put it right here and let me feel it because I can't react to what you're doing unless you let me feel it. And, you know, which gave him a freedom to do what he does best. And it gave me, a, it gave me the, the tools I needed to do what I do. And, I mean, we did Westerns, which he and I both are Western geeks. Excuse me. You know, we're Western geeks. John Wayne, you know, the whole nine hero. But to do Westerns, to do two of them, and to, to do that old gunslinger thing. Yeah. But. We, but they were all two parters. But we did that because he it made him look good, and he knew it. Yeah, like you said earlier, it is exactly what you said earlier. He trusted me to come in. He never Marshall's not coming here to steal my thunder. He's here to make my thunder look good. <laughs> and and he was honest enough to, and he's always been honest enough to say that. Yeah, I bring Marshall here because I know he's going to make me look good. You know, so uh, and 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 you know, the other part is we're friends. Well, it's it's funny, very too, very dear friends. Because until I started researching to make sure I I had I knew everything that I needed to know to have this conversation, I I it's I hate it when IMDb says he is known as a friend of Chuck Norris because there's a lot of people that 
can say that, but I think you've just quite clearly demonstrated. No, no, I'm actually his friend. Um, I am actually his friend. Exactly. I'm not supposed to say, yeah, I know Chuck Norris. Yeah. So I'm actually his friend. <laughs> but um, the other person that he brought into uh, Walking Sex Stranger, who I'm also a big fan of and I follow his career, was Richard Norton. And he's obviously uh, good friends with Benny Arquides. And you brought Benny up without me even mentioning him. So I do, I do love to hear the fact that, that, the people that I hold in highest regards are all in the same circle, essentially. And it's it's good it's good to know that. Well, you mentioned the name Richard Norton. What a what a gentleman, what a fantastic artist he is at his craft. He is magnificent. Truly is. He choked me out one time. Wow. Of course I've been <laughs> choked out by the I've been choked out by the best. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been choked out by the very best in the world doing shows me. Chuck uh, chucked me out in one of the shows and his brother who was directing thought we were playing, you know, making jokes, you know, because we were doing practicing a fight and he kept tightening up on my throat. And I, you know, I didn't pay any attention to it. I was just going through it. Next thing you know, you get that little circle that goes like this and you're out. And his brother came over and just popped me in the back of the head. Like I said, Marshall, quit messing around. I'm trying to shoot this thing. And Carlos still had the grip. He hadn't let go yet. He leaned my head back and he went, he's out. He looked over at my wife. And my wife looked back and he said, yeah, he's out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's that's good to hear. It's it's always nice when you mention other people's names yeah. and you hey, get. Let me mention one other. Let me mention one other person that people that I worked with and, and in the movies and I've had the honor of working with. And he's no, he's no longer with us. But I want to I want to you know, pay homage to General Jean LaBelle. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel, I, General Jean LaBelle. General Jean LaBelle has forgotten more martial arts than most of these characters will ever know in their lifetime. And yes, I have been choked out by Jean LaBelle also. The quickest choke out I have ever known in my life. But I actually got a chance to teach him a move one time that he didn't have, and he and I showed him what it was. It was it was called a cross face backdrop, and I dropped. He said, "I like it. I'm going to keep it." <laughs> So, you know, that's how things work out. I mean, for me to say, Gene LaBelle said, that's one I didn't have. So that was that was an honor. But there's another guy that's in the movies that you talked about. The top of his craft was still working as stuntman into his 80s. Yeah. So you think he, you think he hasn't been around? No, again, there's... I'm not trying to give you a history lesson on all these no, people. No, please, please do. People, you know, Richard Norton, yes, absolutely. Benny Arquitas, all the best. Uh, Charlie Paterni, one one of the best stunt coordinators. Gene LaBelle, Chuck Norris. The list goes on and on and on. Don the Dragon, you know, just these are just incredible people that you work with, and you know you're going to get a good shot because they bring it. Oh yeah, and the one they are Superfoot Wallace. Oh, you know who Superfoot yes. Wallace is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was his sparring partner for one of his world titles. We are you tore still with entire, us? <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. I, but we tore up his entire dojo and got kicked out by the lady that managed it. We tore the display case. We broke through a wall and a door. And we're on the floor when she walked in. And she looks down and says, what are you two doing? You just realize the mess you just made in here? You get up off that floor. You go across the Get to a hamburger. I don't care what you're going to do. But get out of my till I clean this up. So like two little kids, we walked out with her head between our legs to go get a hamburger. <laughs> but, you know, that's just... But that's just another great artist, you know, that has made up so much of this. So 
there you go. You and I could go on for hours about this. You wanted to go on to something else. And I, I just wanted to mention certain names of people that I highly, highly respect in this business have done a marvelous job. Hey, to be fair, that's that's 50% of why this show exists. And I I like getting those sorts of stories because this, this might come across as slightly morbid, but it's not meant that way. But there will come a point where we won't be able to get those stories anymore. You're absolutely correct. Those stories will just be lost. And whilst the, the people that can still tell them are here, let's tell them and let's let's get it on something that people can listen to. And, you know... You mentioned on the Dragon Wilson, one of my friends actually runs a, a podcast called You Could Have Been a Bloodfist Movie that is literally all about watching action movies and going, could this have been a Bloodfist movie if we rewrote it a little bit? I'll bet money that when Don was making those films, he wouldn't think that some 30 years later, there are people that love those films that much that they would do something like that. You don't know, people don't, I don't think, appreciate necessarily the effect that those films have because it takes so long for those generations to come up and decide that they're going to do something with that love that they have. You know, you, you brought up a very strong point. I'd like to point you out for a minute. You just said something very poignant. Yes, we're not all going to be here for, you know, for the duration of history. We're going to be here as long as we're going to be here. But because of what you do, you have... I don't know, put it in a time capsule, so to speak. Yeah. That it will maintain. And, uh, and you know, and it'll carry on. But, you know, when you talk about the movies then, do you know that a lot of the movies today, they're looking back at the action and say, what was the action back then and why did it work? Now, yes, they're going to put a different slant on it today, but they're using a lot of ideas that we were doing in the 80s, you know, and in and, and that, that period of time, they set things up that way. You know, I'm not saying they copied us, you know, word for word, but what they did, they learned from those movies, just like you came up watching those movies and fascinated by the action and all the rest of it. They're taking that, what fascinated them, writers, creators today. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is a nut is an absolute nut about the old Japanese movies. Well, yep. Kill Bill, come on. Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2. And uh, working with Rodriguez on the films, you know, what are they doing? They're doing 80s films uh, now. Yep. So where did he get that from? You know, you have to ask. Yeah, and I was just reminded, uh, you know, I was just reminded, my wife, God bless her, she leaned around the corner. She did the hand like that. <laughs> People talk about, you know, certain things. I did a movie and I had my hand up like this. So I, you stole that from Patrick. I said, no, I didn't. I borrowed it. I gladly give it back. But that little move I did in Roadhouse where I did this after the pool stick fight, you look at how many people are doing that in their films today. Yep. You know, the list of top stars that have turned around and, hey, do that. Come on. That's my move. And they're using it. And I am tickled to death. I'm glad they're doing it. You, you, you've actually just hit uh, something that annoys a lot of us in the sort of action film, especially, but just film scene in general. A lot of people can't understand the difference between ripping a film off and giving a homage to something that they really like. And exactly. 
it it really it really annoys a lot of us when a popular film will will have a reaction and then you'll inevitably get a bunch of people come in basically just trying to go well they're just taking that from this film that was made four years ago or this film that was made across you know in japan or china or thailand wherever the original that they think they've stolen from and nine times out of ten it's deliberate you know yes there are occasions where people do try to claim that they created it but most of the time no it's because the people making it loved that and wanted to put it in the film what are you what would you call it the highest form of flattery yeah imitation is the highest form of flattery those people that do that now i laugh i smile i think it's great you know, my wife leveraged the TV show. My friend called me up. Can I use your roadhouse move in this thing right here? Absolutely. And he did it to me because I was doing the episode. He just came up. Would it be okay if I used your move from, from roadhouse? I said, dude, I'm, I would be honored. And he did it to me. And I just almost couldn't be in the scene because I started smiling. And luckily the camera was on him. And I, I just turned away and smiled because it was great. So yeah, it's a, it's a great form of flattery. Some people do take it the wrong way. They do. And they need to learn that sometimes people are using because they are paying homage to something that caught their eye, something that was different. You know, not yeah. just plain, but it was different. And they took it, you know, and when they took it, people remember, why do they bring it up? Because they remember it. Yeah. Exactly. They bring it up because they remember. Well, the people that watched it and putting it in this show remember it also. Cut them some slack. Get over it. You know, just get over it. Uh, also, I'm sorry I interrupted right there, but that you know. No, that no, no. Sort of... Go for it. I I enjoy it, but because uh, I'm I'm gonna say something that wasn't you know slightly off topic, but um, yeah, because because but... I keep hearing the voice in my ear. I will just say that I did have to smile because obviously on the IMDb it says married to. Lindy Teague, and I noticed that there's a there's a film credit, and I clicked on it, and it was for Ghost Rock, and I I have that film on DVD, so I I quite enjoyed her portrayal of Gail. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I I won't lie, I I it was again. It's I I used to go essentially on rabbit holes with actors. So in the case of Ghost Rock, Michael Worth, Daniel Southworth, they're all in U.S. Seals too. So it made complete sense to follow the trail. And obviously Dan himself was on Power Rangers in a later season as well. So it was just, yeah, I, I remember it was in around about that same period where I think everybody that had other stuff, I just consumed in one massive, <laughs> one massive go. <laughs> you did. You did consume a lot. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't go into overload. It's going, you know. Well, I, I, I think because I've, I've, I've sort of said something similar to this before, but for me, it was the advent of the internet because special forces being a prime example, because as we said, before we started filming, I had no end of difficulty trying to find a version that exists in the UK. When the internet kind of exploded as it did in the mid 2000s and it started to become much more mainstream, films like US Seals 2, like special forces, and so many direct-to-video stuff that you guys had in America suddenly became an option in the UK and and around the world because they the films aren't always big enough to get that international distribution deal and a lot of the smaller film companies to be honest they either don't care or they don't have the resources to actually push them international i think the second one is one of the one of the main was 
they don't have the resources yeah. uh, or the knowledge to figure out how to work that path to get it over. And it takes a long time, you know, sometimes a very long time. Eventually it gets out over there, but you no, know, sometimes they just don't have, they just don't have the knowledge, you know, they yeah. just don't have it. And so that's why for me, and I think a lot of people had the same sort of experience where because the internet took off the way it did, and it was basically the wild, wild west for a while, everybody yeah. could find whatever they wanted to a degree. And uh, that's how I ended up finding a lot of you guys in a lot of these films. Although being in the UK, I had access to all the Hong Kong stuff uh, yeah. growing up because, and that's so fascinating. When I have American guests on, they didn't have that. You know, if, if people did watch that stuff, they had to go to special shops. They had to import them. Whereas for us, they were on late night television. You know, they were the same. So they, re they, re they released them directly to you in the UK. Is that correct? Yes, but that's because up until 1997, Hong Kong was part of the UK. Yeah. So we had an advantage there. Well, yeah. And American films, you had to pick up way down the track, in other words, just because of their their lack of release or whatever yeah. legality it is to get it over there. Um, there's always some little thing that comes up and, you know, makes it difficult and they stick you, you know, they say, but we'll get it there eventually. I'm just glad you got to see it, you know. Just Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the thing. When, when people say, you know, X film hasn't resonated with an audience, but then... 10 years later it's considered a cult classic and a lot of the times it's got nothing to do with did it resonate with the audience it's we didn't even know it existed it took us that long to realize it was there <laughs> well yeah special forces was a good it was a good bunch of people it really was i mean just plain and simple just a good bunch of people again you know uh you know like i said there was some there that goes into your thing about weapons Yep. What we discussed earlier, there were several on that that didn't have a clue. And uh, I had a friend there that was on the show, Temp Abel. Oh, yeah. He was former military. And uh, he and I together, you know, we uh, worked these people. I mean, drilled them and drilled them and drilled them so they could, you know, look right. I mean, Scott didn't know which, you know, Scott Atkins didn't know how to pick up a, a, a firearm. He didn't know what to do. He'd never even seen one. No. Never even held one. You know, now he's carrying them in all his movies now, the ones he's in. He's always carrying. He had never even held a firearm. Didn't know how to make it function. You know, and we had, you know, people like when we were doing the show, while we were doing the show, you know, the Lithuanian army was kind enough to set a couple of days aside saying they were doing field operation training and came and we used them in the show. So all oh, that's the Lithuanian army. Okay. You know, all the big explosions and, yeah, yeah. you know, their idea of stunts over there was very rudimentary. I mean, that guy that came out of the flames, they had the big fireball, yeah. they had him on a rope. Oh, okay. <laughs> they had the guy on a rope. So, you know, it's kind of, he got all his eyelashes burnt off and everything else. But he, that ball of flame, he, they pulled him out of a rope and he came sailing out like this. But, man, he was hot when he came out of there. I was going to say. Well, that, that was going to be one of my questions, because obviously I'm right in saying Special Forces and U.S. Seals 2 were filmed in different places, yeah? Yes, one in Bulgaria and one in Lithuania. Yeah, because but Bulgaria is where a lot of independent action films seem to eventually gravitate towards, whereas Lithuania, I'd say, 
not so much. So what was what was that like no, in I terms of difference? Actually, I think we were the first. I want to say the first United States film to be shot there. Okay. And the people could not have been nicer. They they really thought we were from outer space. <laughs> they didn't know. They really didn't know what to think. But they were very enthusiastic. The um, body count was exceedingly high. Yeah. In that in that particular movie, I think it was around four thousand people or something like that. We killed. I don't know. But um, but the people were very enthusiastic. Couldn't have been nicer. And and it's, this, the village itself. You know, the villages we shot in. I mean, that's that's right there. I mean, there that's people living there. <laughs> we just kind of said, "Can we use your house? Can we do this thing with?" Yeah, sure. Come on. Brilliant. <laughs> so it was—it was very much um, make up as you go along and pretend like this is this is normal. We just sort of something. <laughs> much. Yeah. Yep. It. Uh, so was it the same case as uh, how you ended up with the role in U.S. Seals Two, where Isaac went? I have another idea, Marshall. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> He said, "This is pretty much this is pretty much an all military based thing. So, you want to play the commander? Absolutely. Yeah, and and it works. And you marshal. You're not going to die in this one. <laughs> you're going to get beat up a lot, but you're not going to die. No, well, see, that was the funny thing because you said, oh, you know, oh, it's it. When you die, it's like, oh, I'm not going to be in the sequel. But in many ways, Special Forces does kind of feel like a similar." tone a similar type of film and it's the yep. same director it's very similar team so i think for most people watching it even though it's not canonically a sequel they're always going to be associated and uh i do find it interesting i remember thinking like of all the, the characters and all the people when you watch your steals 2 and then it's like oh so it's it's the major that is coming back for another film and obviously at the time it was sort of like i wonder why that decision was made and you have now enlightened everybody. <laughs> but I, I, I well, was glad. You know, that, that also with Isaac and, and being a friend of his also, he, he trusted me. He knew that, you know, he didn't have to worry about whether they would look right. He didn't have to worry. All he had to worry about was what he had to shoot. And he would ask me, what do you need, Marshall, to make this function for what we're doing? To make it look, you know, as realistic as we can. And that's basically what I did. You know, I was... I guess you could call me the military advisor. I don't look at it that way. I was just his friend, and I told him I'd help him. But that being especially, you know, yeah, it just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, and I, I think it shows because, like you say, you you can see the progress between U.S. Seals Two and Special Forces. It's got a, yeah. I wouldn't say a more serious story. It is, but you're still going for that entertainment tone over being a a dark, yeah. gritty military story. Yeah, it was it was a darker it was a darker story in my it was a darker you know more clandestine uh, overtone to it you know than anything else. The streets were always in shadows. It wasn't like fighting in the middle of that whatever it was we were fighting at you know in U.S. Seals. This was a lot of shadow work, a lot of night work, you know. So, and plus the sun only came up for two or three hours anyway over there. So you know while we were shooting, you pretty much have to you're going to shoot in the dark for the most part. Because when the sun comes up, it's only up for a few hours, and then it just drops, and there you go. So, yeah, I kind of had to get used. To that. Yeah, I was going to say that that would be quite handy if you're 
trying to make a, the, everything feel much more dark and foreboding to literally be somewhere where it's dark most of the time. It's dark and foreboding, you know, yeah. all the time. So what was, because uh, I'm, I'm right in saying for those listening that Andy did not return to do the choreography for this one, yeah? No. So how did you find working with the, the different people this time around? Different, but equally as good. Okay. A different approach. You know, Andy's Andy's got a lot of flow. He's all about this all the time, you know. His mind's working. The other one was more direct and precise. Uh, you know, I, I please excuse me that I don't have the, the gentleman's name right on the tip of my tongue. But the, well, he was also, he was also the guy that went over to uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He left doing that show and went directly to that okay. to coordinate that. So he was the fight coordinator for a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So that I can tell you. Feel, feel free to carry on and I might find his name. Well, I, I was just going to say he was he was uh, incredibly direct because if you if you look at the fighting and the, the fighting was more direct. Yes. You know, the hand to hand stuff, you know, yes, there was a lot of weapons work. You know, there's a, a tremendous amount of, of, as you like to say, the firearms work and that uh, looked pretty. I think I'd like to think it looked pretty, pretty well done, you know, movement, everything else. But the, the fighting in that the direct was more direct. You know, it was one on one or two on one or three on one. But it was a very direct fighting style. You didn't see swords and staffs and chains and everything else coming out of this. This was uh uh, you know, yes, even though other things did come out, you know, wood boards and everything else. But Ellie Danker, you know, Ellie Danker, who was the bad guy in this, his his character was more, I would say, menacing. He was a more menacing character to me. I mean, the way I looked at him, he was a much more menacing character, very dark and very quiet. And, very, and his eyes were very piercing. He didn't have to look tough or, or do anything else. That was the way he looked. You know, it was just his persona that he was able to uh, bring to bear. You know, when you meet Ellie Danker, you find him just to be this sweet teddy bear guy that can play a piano like nobody's business. You know, he's just incredible, you know, but in his characters, that's what he plays. And he d does it very well. Um, I believe that it was Eddie Perez. He's credited as the fight choreographer on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, if that rings in. Yeah, sense. that would be this. That would be direct. Yeah. Okay. And he had a, had a, he had a Japanese guy. I think he was Japanese with him. The guy that was uh, his in type martial arts guy. That they worked they worked like this the whole time when they set it up. But it's like the the fight with uh, Scott Atkins with the gentleman that he fought, and myself with Ellie Danker, and obviously the other people that we, you know, sliced and diced throughout this uh, particular film. But uh, you know, everybody talks about. Scott, you know, that was Scott Atkins' first film. First Western film. Yeah, the first Western film. He had never done one like that. Because I remember one day, and it was precious as it could be, because he came, and he had a little down, drooping day, and I came over to him, and I said, Scott, what's the problem? Well, I miss me mom, and I miss me mates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at him, and I smiled. You'll see him soon. You know, you'll see him soon. But, you know, it's, for a first movie, you know, he was very open for suggestion. Never, you know, the one thing that an actor never does, you never tell another actor how to act. That's the one thing you do not do. You'd wait, wait if he, you know, we'd already said, if there's anything I can help you with, 
if you want, you know, if you want me to run some lines with you, something like this, and give you some ideas, please come. I'll be glad to do it. If not, I'm staying out of it. And, you know, yeah, every once in a while he would ask about something, you know, he did pretty, pretty darn well on his head, but that was his first, you know, Western film. So there were certain things about camera angle and missing this right here that he had to be, uh, and Isaac, you know, knowing this very well, was very good to sit there and say, I need you to come across because the camera's, uh, the camera's over there. So I want you to read the pass through on his job. So when his head comes around, it looks like you hit him, you know? So he was very open for that. I feel like that, I think it's kind of a well-known in inverted commas thing now, but Scott being a pure martial artist before he started doing films, yes, he'd gone over to Hong Kong and he'd been stunts in some of their stuff. He'd done Black Mass 2, uh, which is a hilarious role, and it would have in no way helped him to prepare for something like Special Forces. I, I saw it. Oh, okay. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. And, uh, but I, I feel like people that have that strict martial arts training can sometimes be the hardest people to choreograph because what works for martial arts is not what works for films in terms of how it looks, in terms of how it's performed. So it's quite interesting to hear you say that he was like taking advice quite well from Isaac and yourself. He was, he was lovely. I mean, really, but he also says, you know, this is not my world. I mean, he said, I'm, I've studied martial arts. He would put it this way. I've studied martial arts, but I've also studied um, acrobatics. Yeah. I mean, he went over and trained in the acrobatic moves of what they do. I mean, you look at, you look at his kicks, they're beautifully performed. His triple, his triple spinning back kick, very few people do that. I mean, let's, let's just be real about it. And, but that's what he did. You know, he sent, he got his, you know what his interview was? He sent a tape. He sent a tape of him performing his work on the floor, his gymnastics. And that was another thing, his gymnastics, all the rest of it. And he studied martial arts. But the gymnastics part of it was a very big part of it. And he'll tell you, that's what I did. But he sent a tape to Isaac, you know, you know, to, to get it in there. Isaac got a hold of it, watched it, and saw that um, he had this amazing ability. And if he could we could get the acting part out of it, it would be great. And it worked out. That's how it came about. That's how it came about. I, I think it works brilliantly because your character and your sort of team are almost doing one film and then his character, because he was already there, because he was, you know, in that sort of situation, you're almost watching two different films until you guys come together and then it all explodes into this you know it's just one non-stop action sequence once you guys meet but i i really like the way it's shot that he kind of is doing his own thing you guys are doing your thing because although i do enjoy you know i love rewatching us seals too i do like that special forces there's a lot more emphasis placed on why you're doing what you're doing and how whereas in us seals too it's just let's let's go you know, so I, I do like the aspect of it, of how everybody comes together. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you saw it that way, because that's that's basically what it was. He was a lone wolf. He, he was basically a lone wolf operator trying to take on this guy, you know, as best he could as a lone wolf. You know, he had certain escape routes and that kind of stuff. But when he came with us, he realized he had a team that he could work with and accomplish the same thing. 
you know, when you got it, it's, it's, it was just a smart thing to do to bring them together because the film said, we work better as a team. We're stronger as a team. We can, we can function and take care of the bad guys, all of them as a team, as opposed to working as a lone wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that message in, in pretty much everything where it's true. And I feel like there's so many stories, not even just films. There's so many stories going back through time that shows that to be true, but I feel like it's still something that people struggle with, you know, it, and until they sort of experience it for themselves, it's almost like there's this inbuilt um, hesitation to want to work as a team, to have help and reach out to other people. But every single conflict, every single resolution throughout most of history, it's been because people have worked together rather than trying to do it themselves. So yeah. I, I, I always like the aspect where people realize, you know, if we work together, we could have won already. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, my background is I'm I'm used to working with teams. You know, it makes it very efficient, you know. And, you know, and, and when you work with a team, pretty much you, you, you look, look at it as we stand a better chance of all of us coming back. Yeah. If we work, together, you know, and that's, you know, it's just, that's just it. And, you know, that was a long time ago, but it's, you, you don't ever forget that. You know, you never forget that. That's just something you just never forget. And it's you know, it's it's invited me well through the years. Look, I you know, I, I can't I can't complain. You know, I, I go into a business that everybody has to be taught how to do this. You know, they teach them all the time. Well, in my case, they didn't have to teach me. You know, and you would have other people. You know, and I wish it would have been nice to have been doubled more than I was in my life because I really wasn't doubled very often. You know, I did most of it. No, I, I just really wasn't, and, you know, because the stunt coordinator or people say, I can't do what he does. I can't match him. His movements, his body movements, his language, his, his weapons transference. I can't copy that because he just has a he just has a system. So they just say, oh, Marshall, you're doing it. OK. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that, that was something I noticed um, in both films, because uh, there, there are people uh, that I know were doubled in like your seals two, for example, but I, I, I could tell that you weren't one of them and it's definitely you. I mean, part of that is because without being mean to anybody, you're the biggest person there. So it would be very obvious if you were being doubled, <laughs> which, it, you know, it's not, it doesn't make it impossible. I mean, we've all seen the Hong Kong films where the, the slender blonde woman is suddenly doubled by a man two feet taller than her or wearing, wearing her a blonde wig. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's not impossible, but yeah, I think uh, you, you have that curse to bear, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes, I do. But it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's fine. You get, you know, in doing that, you get a chance to, and it's, and it's flattery because you'll get the young guys that'll come up to you and say, you know, they said, I saw you do this. I saw you do that. You know, all this other stuff. How you do it? You know, and here's the thing. And this was back when I was in the, my 40s. They'd say, how do you do it at your age? And I look and you just have to smile. And you just you look at him smiles because I can. Yeah. You know, I do it because I can do it. I was trained to do it. I, I, I remember, you know, because he's probably one of the biggest people when people think of action, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. When he came back after he'd been out of the game for a while 
and he, and someone said to him, you know, you're 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 the opposite of young. Uh, how are you finding doing the fight scenes? And he said, to be honest, after the initial rust wore off, I didn't have an issue. He said the 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 difference is I can do it all, but then I have to sleep in a fridge for three days. <laughs> That it's 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 not the performance I struggle with; it's the recovery. It's the recovery. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely correct. Now, I I can still do most of what I I did then. Some I can't. I mean, I'm not way up here with my legs anymore. But uh, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't need to be. No. I just I learned other techniques that work just as fine, and I can integrate those, and they work fine. And as far as weapons handling, I don't have an issue with that at all. You know, I can I can make it work. You know, I can do that, and you know, it's it's a it's a nice compliment when you the people say, you know, they say, okay, well, who do we have to do this? You know, the the weapons people would come up. Oh, Marshall, you don't have to teach him anything. Just get the other people. Marshall, you're going to be working with this, 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 and this. All right, can I tear them down? Sure, okay. You know, tear them down. Look, I always want to check them, make sure they're functioning the way I like them to function. And I lay them back down, say, okay, open and clear. And I send them down. And they say, that's why we never worry about Marshall. First thing he's going to do is take it apart. Well, I, I think as well, go, going back to what you just said then, when it comes to older action heroes, which is definitely something that has become popular, partly sure. through people like Liam Neeson, Keanu Reeves as well. I know he's not as old, but he is older than he looks, which is a, a nice thing if you can get it. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know how old the guy is. I honestly don't. I just care about the fact that he does his job. He does it well. Yeah. You know, Liam's the same way. I just appreciate it. Yeah. But uh, but maybe not those two, because like you say, they, they do get away with still carrying off what they could do maybe 20 years ago. But I quite like the films, like what you were just saying, where you can tell the person is older and they've had to adjust and adapt. And even though it's the only, it's, it's not the only example, but it is the one that I like to point to. I don't know if you've seen it, but, uh, Jackie Chan in The Foreigner. Now, when you think Jackie Chan, you think of these amazing. I love that. I love that. I loved that movie. I truly, truly loved that movie. He did a brilliant job of his character. Yeah. When he was off in the woods, remember this, that, uh, that, uh, Royal Marine was trying to catch him through the woods. Yep. What, what did he do? He used his brain and beat the guy at his own game. Yep. I, I, I love that movie. I think it's extremely underrated. And because it's Jackie, I think so many people have this expectation that he's still going to be doing what he did when he was like in his 30s, 40s. And he, no. A, he can, but he doesn't need to. And I don't think it fits a character. This is the thing, like, he throws a couple punches and he starts panting because someone that is supposed to be his age who isn't training every single day of his life would get out of breath that quick. And the fact that they did that and still made him the most dangerous person in the room to me is just as enjoyable and impressive as any of the John Wicks. Well, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I've seen it probably a half a dozen times. And, and when I see it come up, I, I immediately go to it. That's the interesting thing. I immediately go to it because of that factor. You know, first of all, it's very well done. You know, Pierce Brosnan does a marvelous job, but Jackie Chan's character is so endearing. It really is. He's yep. so endearing, but so deadly at the at the same time, quietly. 
he does it quietly. Yep. There's no there's no shouting, no scream. He doesn't have to. He just very gently tells you it's not going to feel good. <laughs> and you believe it. You know, you believe it. I remember when the trailer for that came out and it annoyed me immensely because they slightly edited what's in the final film to what's in the trailer. I know why they did it. It's because they didn't want Jackie to feel too much like the bad guy. But it really annoyed me because it perfectly summed up why he worked. Because it's right after he blows up uh, Pierce Brosnan's bathroom, which is funny in itself. And oh, it's they, they, they speak on the phone. And in the trailer, Pierce Brosnan says to him, you know, do you have any idea who you're dealing with? Do you know who I am? And Jackie's perfect response with no emotion says, Yes, I do. Do you. But they cut out the do you bit in the film and it drove me mad. I, I saw that and I know that piece and you're right. Why they left that alone, it just really irritates me. I guess they didn't want it to be him challenging him back because yeah, he said he doesn't yeah. have to, I guess. That was the reason. But I caught the same thing you did. Irritated me to no end. I kept waiting for that payoff. Yeah, and exactly. Happened, you know. Anyway, feel free to come back and do an episode with me on the foreigner if you're so inclined. <laughs> oh, whatever. You know, if you want to have me back on any subject, it's it's fine. You know that I I've enjoyed this so much. I really have. I've had just the best time. It, it, I, I'm right there with you, man. I I I don't like to uh to. Well, I don't like the phrase toot my own horn, but it's the only one that's coming to mind. But I, I am extremely happy that everyone that's ever been on has said something to the effect of, I've got an hour or so for you, let's chat. And then everyone goes over an hour, everybody keeps chatting, they all tell stories that they weren't planning to, that they that usually says, oh yeah, I've I've not said this before. And then at the end... Yeah, let me know when you want us to come back. And to me, that's the best compliment I can have. Well, I, I mean it with all my heart, you know, because you you've made talking to, not at someone. You did it that way. You talked to me, I talked to you, not talking at someone. Say, yeah. well, let me ask you a question. Can you give me this on this on this? Yeah, I probably could, but I, I really don't feel like doing it because of the way you ask it. Well, you know? I, I'm going to let... I'm going to let the audience in on a little secret and, I, and I'm going to say, they're going to tell you as well. There's a reason why I can do that. It's because I don't have any questions prepared. I never do. Because what's the point? I don't want to sit here and ask you questions. I want to have a conversation and I want to let you speak. And I agree. You had, well, you actually do make, you're wrong. You actually do make notes. This movie, this movie, this well, movie. Oh, yeah, and okay. This, <laughs> and that's it. That's the only note I make. Tell yeah. me about this. and But you know the movies. You know the shows. You know the genre. But the, the, you didn't have to ask. But you did ask questions in this about certain movies. You didn't have to write them down because you already knew the movie. Now you have to find out what really happened. Yeah. What really took place? Or how about letting me know more about what I thought I knew? That's always a wonderful way of approaching things. Tell me more about what I thought I knew. Yeah, and do you know what I also find? And you teach me things at the same time. I'm I'm learning too. I, I, that's a bonus. But uh, but what I love is when I'm wrong and you will tell me 
because if I'm wrong about something, I want to know. Because I find that really irritating when people are like, oh, oh, I might be wrong about that. It's like, no, if I'm wrong, tell me. Correct me. I will spread the word of this new knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is you have fun with it. There's some people that are just, some interviewers have been so stoic that I just guess, can you smile? Uh, would you smile or, you know, have a drink of water or something? Show me that you're, you've got this human side to you. Just a dad. Because I, I, I like to, I like to, I like to spend time with the person I'm talking to and share. And we have done that and I have enjoyed it immensely. And I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate that. At, at the risk of sounding like an echo, I appreciate you responding. I, I, for obvious reasons, I won't name names, but if I, I, I really detest reaching out to people. And because of social media, because of technology, I know okay. people have read them. And when you don't get even just a thank you, but no, and, and you just get left on red, that's infuriating. So I, I appreciate anyone that takes the time, even if it is no, to just say it, you know? Well, my, mine wasn't no, it just took a while. Oh, no. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> and, and maybe they just don't, they don't feel comfortable enough to share. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there it's, are, it's, it's there are people that don't feel comfortable enough to share, but it, it, they forget that it's not about them. It's not. It's not about me. It's about the people. The people out there that come and the fans that want to watch and that have watched, that have seen these things. It's about you guys. It's not about me. You know, I mean, I'm just the guy that did the work. We'll be. You know, but you're the people we we were trying to reach and wanted to entertain. And when we get people that want to talk about something that entertain them, wow, you know, that means what we did mattered. It definitely did. The the fans matter. They do to me. Yeah. They 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 matter a lot to me. Yeah, I mean so. there's there's such a big we used to call it action Twitter, though that, that name has slowly faded away, but that mm -hmm. is how everybody found each other, which is that, you know, film critics and film geeks can be a tad overbearing, naturally because of their it's a subject that they're passionate about. And I feel like one of the things that really pushed this show into existence and a lot of other shows that I'm friends with and people that I knew beforehand, horror films have thousands of magazines, articles, podcasts, documentaries. There's, there's so much out there dissecting them and analyzing them, why we enjoy them, what they represent. Action films, no. Like, there, there have been some over the years, but most of them either stop or by the time you know they're there they're already kind of coming to an end and i think a lot of that is because action films in general get a bad rep but as we've had with this entire discussion i think some of that is because people don't realize the work that goes into them the quality of the stunt teams the skill sets that you have to have to, to be cast in them in the first place and it's one of those things where you don't necessarily realize that the acting required can be different, but that doesn't mean it's any lesser. Watching a slasher movie and watching an action movie can be just as cathartic as each other. They're, you know, they, they, they can tick the same boxes. You just have to be open to it and try it. Well, I was watching a Friday the 13th last night. It's one of the older ones. I think it was 1982 or something like that. 
and the usual the usual girls and guys are running through the woods half naked and of course they're being chased by jason uh, you know with the ski mask and the guy that played jason in that uh was a stunt man that i happen to know very well and a big guy and uh but i watched it last night and uh, i see why people are fascinated by it because you know there's the shock factor the sword in the air coming through impaled lifting up on there's all that but and that's fine but it's really just coordinating a screen yeah it's coordinating a screen to go with an action you know you try to do coordinate a screen and do this action good luck you know <laughs> you do the action we do and try to coordinate a screen with that have a nice day if you can <laughs> if you can pull it off uh, anyway to to drag drag us back to special forces um, one of the things that you actually highlighted that I was going to mention was uh, Eli Danker, because yeah. again, my timeline might be off because I, I, I'm terrible with remembering when I watch things, but I'm actually pretty confident that I had actually seen Undisputed 2 first, which meant that I was more familiar with the character he played in that film. So it was actually, yeah. And obviously, you know, Isaac basically brought Eli and Scott forward into one of his next projects so going back to special forces was great because in undisputed he talks about the fact that he knows how to hurt people and he used to be skilled and then you watch special forces and you're kind of going oh yeah he can <laughs> and this is this is how he does it yeah yeah it's, it's it's great and i also love the fact that in a film that has scott adkins and his fight at the end uh apologies to the other guy i'm blanking on your name but they have a, a fantastic fight and it, you know, it's, it's constantly gets shared as, a, as one of the best, but I like the fact that although that one, yes, it's shared because it's an early Scott Adkins fight, but you, yours and Eli's fight is parallel to theirs and they make them different. You're not just watching four people do the same things to each other. They do all the acrobatic stuff. You two are way more hard hitting. And I love that because it reflects the personalities of the characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, between you call him Eli, I call him Ellie. You know, just just a, uh, but, if, you know, if it, I'm wrong, tell me. <laughs> no, I. The thing is, I don't know. Oh. I just I, I just called him Ellie all the time, Ellie Danker. But uh, it was very obvious that we were not the same age as the Atkins and, and the young man that he fought. In that, you know, we were the older soldiers, but we were not any less a soldier. And that's What's was missing in a lot of it, you know. People look at you, and they say, "Well, they're older," but you say, well, "Yeah, but look at the action. It's it's just as brutal. It is just as brutal. It is just as vicious, and uh, and quite frankly, more bloody than their fight." You know? Yeah, no, it was the the fight we did. You know, you're you're right. Was more brute force, uh, and and you know, it was and it had a certain finesse of movements and things like that. And uh, Ellie, not so much. He's not a kicker. But, you know, his, his other work was there, but mine was the, the legs and the power in the kicks, that kind of stuff. And it, it, yeah, I, I know this. I know they don't talk about it because Scott Atkins is, you know, that's he's known for his acrobatic fighting style. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. Would you yeah. say that's fair? OK. Acrobatic fighting. I'm known for brute force and coming straight ahead. You know, doing the same thing, not not up here, but. I do the same thing, same martial arts as they do, but I, I'm just not an acrobatic martial artist. 
never was. Even when I was fighting, for real, that's not my style. You know, my my style was uh, you get in the ring, don't let the other guy step out of the ring. You step out, he he gets carried out. I I think that one of the advantages of having fight sequences where you don't show off that level of flashiness is that at the end when you are about to kill Ellie is that when you suddenly do break out a spinning roundhouse and then you do a really high kick to his face it has more impact because you haven't been doing that all the way through the film that is kind of you doing a bit of styling on them as you know this is your end movement whereas when Scott has to do something like that, as you just said, he has to put like a triple corkscrew backflip into it to do the same thing because people expect that higher level and they're both valid. They're just very different. But to me, because you guys are supposed to be military, yours made more sense. Don't get me wrong. I thoroughly enjoyed theirs as well, but I do oh, love how loved loved, I, I loved it. I, I yeah. Loved it. I, I just love how it showed the differences between the, the, the characters, the actors and I'm going to attempt this and pray because I have now found his name and I can see why I couldn't remember it. So Scott Atkins fought a lovely gentleman by the name of Vladislavis Jakivekius. And I guarantee you I messed that up, so I apologize, but that's what I well, can remember. You don't need to apologize because we all messed it up too when we were trying to say hello. Okay. So don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. But, I, think, I think he gave us a short adapted form of his name. It was just a one word quick. We could call him and 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 even answer to it because nobody could pronounce his name. That's why I, when I started this, I said I can't remember the guy's name because we couldn't uh, pronounce it. Right. <laughs> you let me walk into it instead. Thanks. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but you you do it so much better than I do. I mean, you know, I I, I can self deprecate for a living. It's fine. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I, I've taken I've taken my bumps and bruises too over the years. So. <laughs> no, I mean, like I said, I I think that Special Forces and U.S. Steels two both stand on their own two feet. Um, I think in America you can find Special Forces a lot easier than I can, because uh, unfortunately, due to licensing, I think it is on Amazon in America, but I don't think it's not for us. It basically, uh, I understand. But whereas U.S. Seals 2, I believe it's on Tubi, which is a similar thing, but that's easier to, to navigate. And again, I have both of them on DVD. It's just that they must be at my place back in Cornwall because I don't live where I grew up, basically. And there's still a bunch of stuff that's there. <laughs> I grew up all over the world, so I don't know where my stuff is. It's perfectly yeah, all right. I, I knew you were going to say that because... Uh, I, I've got a few friends that grew up with that lifestyle, and I, I didn't have that. I, you know, I'm, I'm from the south of England, in the middle of nowhere. You know, technology is a foreign concept, and yeah, so very, very different. <laughs> I always like to tell people I lived in places I can't even spell. Yeah, but I lived there. You know. So the last thing then that I, I personally wanted to ask about, and this will not probably be that appealing to the people listening, but I know a lot of people just like to hear my personal interests. So in the 90s, there was a science fiction show called Babylon 5, and I watched it with my dad. It's probably one of his, well, no, it is his favorite TV show ever. And I am honored to hear that. 
one of well both of our favorite characters without a doubt is the one that was played by andreas katsoulis who was jakar but we've always liked the non-characters in general so imagine my surprise when i opened your imdb and i saw babylon 5 and i'm going but i know what marshall looks like i'd have recognized him if he you know in retrospect and then i see talon and as soon as i saw that i went oh so I've actually been a fan of yours since before I even knew who you were. <laughs> Good. Good. So I was just wondering, what was that like to be an alien, to work with Andreas, to 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 because you can't get much further than the action films we've talked about than being on sci-fi. And yes, I know you were on others, but Babylon 5 is the one I'm curious about. Well, I, I, I am without question uh a sci-fi geek. You know, I don't mind saying that. I mean, I did the Star Treks and the other thing, but Babylon 5, and I did, you know, the first Babylon 5, where I played a creature, uh, I don't know how what you'd even call him. He was, you know, he was a, 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 I don't know, he was just some, I morphed into this creature that was a basically a machine and just a, 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 bio, a biological machine, totally disruptive. But that was, it was only one episode. Okay. It was in the very first. It was called Infection. That oh, was, that was the, yes. Okay. That's that's how much I've watched it. I can't remember the episode. Well, that, that was me that turned into that. Oh. And then they did All Alone in the Night. That's when uh, Bruce Boxleitner and I were basically put in an arena fight with swords. You saw that. We were put in that fight. And they went to, uh, you know, the executive producer, you know, John Straczynski. And they said, you know, this is kind of an interesting character. He and, you know, the captain of the ship bonded in that fight. You know, we figuring out a way to get out of there. And we did. You know, we got out of there. And um, Joe Straczynski, you know, he, I called him John Straczynski, Joe Straczynski. He said, um, how do you see this character? I said, pretty much the way you had him in the show with a sword. I said, I don't want to carry a laser gun. I said, he's got to be an old samurai. I think he should be an old samurai with a lot of wisdom and a lot of years, because we really don't know how old a Narn is. We yeah. know they live, we know they live extended lives. I said, he's a very old Narn, but he's a warrior. And that's what he's been, always a warrior, but an honorable warrior, an old samurai. And he said, I, I, he said well, uh, I said, I'll build the sword. I'll have the sword designed. And that was me. I'll have the sword designed and uh, you think of the character. He said, you bring me the sword. I'll create the character. So I had, <laughs> I had the sword designed. It was designed off. I have my personal, I have a 15th century katana. Then I had it formed off my katana. And when I brought her in, he looked at it and he goes, he said, your, your, your blade is like a talon. So we're going to call you Talon. That's that. That's more than I was expecting. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. So the sword is mine. I still have it. It's it's in my safe. Uh, but we created that, and I got to work with probably one of the God. He's just wonderful. Andreas Katsoulis, who played Jakar, and classically trained actor. Wonderful. <sighs> I sat around, we were with each other all the time. And I listened to what he had to say because I wanted to absorb, if something came out, a piece that I could grasp onto, I was going to grasp onto that piece. 
by watching him, watching his delivery, anything. There's no saying. He said, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah. You know, you've heard that yourself. And uh, the interesting thing, we became so bonded together when we would come in. I was working and he was working. We'd come in to make up at the same time. They'd bring us in at the same time. And we were Marshall and Andreas until they put in the red, uh, whatever they call those things. Yeah, we put in the contact. Once they put the red contacts in our eyes, it was, I referred to him as Jakar and he referred to me as Talon. And from that moment on throughout the day, didn't matter whether we were working together or anything, I was always, I would always walk either beside him or slightly behind him so I could watch him. And everybody noticed this. We would go to lunch and he and I would walk out together and I would wait for him to sit. We'd get our food and I would wait for him to sit. And then he just got to the point, he would just go, he would just do this. He'd just go. And I would sit. And we would eat. And everybody just kept looking at us. What is this going on? What it became was just a, a really wonderful friendship, a sharing of knowledge, the sharing of two characters who work together, and to bring them together where they worked like a fine oiled machine. And I think they did. No, yeah, they did. I think I think they did. I've heard, like, because obviously they have made various documentaries about Babylon Five, thankfully, um, over the years, and I've heard people say that Andreas, you know, once the makeup was on, he was Jakar. So the fact that you had the same attitude and worked so well with him, I think that shines through on the show because there's a reason why the Narns, I think, appeal to so many people. I mean. Culturally, the fact that they were freedom fighters that take their freedom from the Centauri, that played perfectly into the fact that you are a swordsman, an old warrior, because that was what always appealed to me about Jakar as well, is he's a diplomat, but he's a warrior. He's a poet at heart, but he knows how to fight. And Talon always felt like the opposite. He is a warrior, but he understands the necessity for peace. And I love the fact that they worked into the character that you will not draw your blade unless you're going to spill blood. And it, it ended in these wonderfully comical moments where there were times where you did draw your blade. And so once everybody disappeared, yep, you had to slice your own hand. And it is a deadly serious moment, but it also gives it levity because you've got this guy who's constantly like, ah, here we go again. <laughs> and you, you, that came through perfectly. It always stuck in my mind. Now, there was, uh, there was that scene. Uh, there was a scene where they, they were having an argument. They were Narns. Yep. And they were having an argument with Jakar. And there was one move forward. And I drew the sword and put it at his throat. Yep. And I told him before, I said, when I draw this sword, do not move forward. I want you to be on this boat. You're going to take a step. When you take that step, don't move after that. And I said, he said, why? I said, trust me. <laughs> and I drew the sword. It was up next to his neck like this. And then Jakar, I think Jakar did this with the blade and I put it up. But when it's done, it was like... Slice the hand, but it was it was it was a classic moment of why the two worked so well together. I was his shield. I was bound and determined to be his shield, but he was also mine. Yeah, you know he was my shield. I learned he he taught me how to work diplomatically. You know, and you know there's there's a line in there somewhere about. You, you, I carry my sword in my hand. You carry your sword in your heart and in your mind. Yep. 
that's pretty much what you said. Um, because yeah. funnily enough, it was that scene that, uh, when I was trying to refresh my memory of Taylon just to make sure I was thinking of the right character, that is <laughs> literally the scene that's up on YouTube that first response oh, that really? came up. Yeah. <laughs> so people like that you know, scene. I've, I've, I've never seen it. Oh, it, it's, it, it's on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Everybody there, understand the whole, the whole crew, you know, as I said, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Boxlight and I have been friends, you know, for years. We rode horses together, we roped together the whole nine yards. But um, the family of Babylon 5 was very interesting. You know, it was it was a new show, you know, when they were starting up with this thing. And it was, you know, Star Trek had been around for a very long time. So you're about to take on Star, uh, Star Trek. No, we're not taking it, huh? I said, Star, Star Trek flies all over the place getting to know people all over the place. They don't know what it's like to have to live in one place until they made the movies about Star Trek where they brought all the people together in those big flying places where all the nations live together. Yeah. You know, they they didn't do that until then. They took that from Babylon 5 because Babylon 5 was that. Yeah. They had to learn how to live together. And that's what made Babylon 5 so different than the rest of them. Did we fly into space? Of course we did. But when we came back to live, we had to live with everybody. and Everybody had to figure out a way to live with each other. So it was it was a very interesting diplomatic approach to how would you approach an alien? I personally think Babylon 5, as it is, like even you don't need a reboot. I think aside from, unfortunately, because of they made the effects on Amigas. They don't have the source files. They can't easily update them to high definition for streaming purposes. But I actually think the premise and story of Babylon 5 applies more now than it did when it was made. I couldn't agree with you more. It, it, you know, it's a bunch of people coming together and trying to hash out their differences in neutral ground. And they do that by living and working side by side. So they can't just run away back into their bubble. They have to deal with other people's dissenting opinions and views yeah. and talk it out. And, you know, your character was a great example of like, here's what other people who aren't Jakar think from Narn. And they did the same thing with Centauri. They would bring in other characters and it would show you the growth of your main character because, oh, right, this is how they used to be. This, this is how they started. They were, they weren't great. You know, they were a bit aggressive. They were militant. They didn't talk yeah. very well and then when you see the reflection of oh you've changed and it's like yeah they have they've grown and and now yes. they're going to help you grow and i think that that message is lost in a lot of science fiction in general now not just television no i have to agree with you i think now they take it on just a face value and it's kind of like there's there's a little more depth to be found there but you have to go and be willing to search it out and they yeah. say we don't have the yes you do change the plot a well, little bit just it, tweak it, the plot it also helps that straczynski basically had the whole thing written before it started which i think is a risk but up if here. you yeah he had it written up here if you, if you know where it's going to end and you know things that you need to do to set stuff up as opposed to you're making it up as you go don't get me wrong you can make great things that way but the fact that he was able to set so much of it up in the first season when you rewatch it, the first season is so much better in retrospect because you go, oh, wow, this actually started way before it started, you know? <laughs> yes. 
he, he allowed it to make mistakes in the early, you know, the frailties of man, frailties of the, con uh, the man being with alien, those little pieces of, you know, the coming together. He allowed it to happen very well in the first season. You know, the, yes, we grew from that, but he showed the growth. You know, he, he, he allowed himself to show the growth. But you're right. He did have that entire series. The entire series was right here the whole time. Yeah. He knew he knew of every episode. He knew exactly where he was going. He never left his office. I mean, literally, I mean, he would come in uh, and the office, I mean, and start typing or whatever you call it. He was so fast and it moved so fast. He, his programs were set up. He would hit a name, boom, and he would just go. He, he wrote so many of the episodes because he knew them. Yeah. It was hard for him to hand them off to someone else because they didn't think the same way as Joe Straczynski did. No. You know, very few people do. He's a very smart man. The the thing is with someone like Straczynski is everything else he's done has been influential. No, sorry, everything he's done has been influential, but he's one of those names that people don't know because they're only familiar with the stuff he influenced rather than the fact that it's him that created it. Because obviously after Babylon 5, going on a real tangent here, he created his own superhero storyline, which was what if a bunch of superheroes disagreed philosophically about how to do the right thing and had a civil war? And that's pretty much what every other major comic book competitor went. That's a brilliant idea. Why don't we do that? But it, it, he did it years before they decided to do it. But that's how his mind works. Yeah. It never stop, It never shuts down. He never turns it off. Ever. I mean, ever. He just, that's just the way it works. And this reboot that he's, I think, I don't know whether they're doing it or they're going to do it. I mean, there, you know, there is. Yeah, they're, they're. My understanding that they're doing it or going to do a reboot of Babylon 5. Of course, I got everybody, your third cousin. Is, is Talon going to be there? I said, I, I, I would not even know where to touch the answer to that one. I said no. Would no. would it would it be would it be wonderful? I said it would, but I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. No, I I think unfortunately it'll be you know a completely new cast, and you you might be lucky to get the odd appearance, but I I doubt they're going to want to. I I doubt the studios will want to bring old people back because that seems to be something that they really don't want to do with reboots, at least with television. Well, they're doing a reboot of Roadhouse. You know that. You know they're yeah. Doing a reboot of that. And uh, somebody said, I can't believe they didn't ask you. I said, I can. I understand completely. Yeah. I said, hell, I had, I had my throat ripped out. You know? Well, that and the fact that I think from a creative point of view, because I, I feel like this is, this, this, this is happening more and more as reboots are coming out faster and faster. The new creative team doesn't want to really be influenced by the old creative team or the old voices and the, the last thing they want is to start something new and then go, hey, look, here's the old people that you like, because that immediately makes the audience go, oh, yeah, and I like them more or I like that better, which yeah. isn't necessarily fair because the new or things just why started. why did you do that? You know, or why did you do that? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's from an actor's standpoint. And they had when they had something they really liked, it's really from the standpoint of the actor. When they were on a show that they really, really like, there's a part of them that goes with that. Yeah. You know, there's a part of them that wants to be back in that the, the group. But whether it works or not, more than likely it does not. 
and it's you know and it's you know whether you like it or whether you don't and you know yeah who knows ah anyway is there anything else you would like to mention briefly because uh, i know i've taken up quite a lot of your time inadvertently <laughs> well i mean i've just really enjoyed it i'm glad i i mean i'll tell you what let's do let's just save some for the next time how's that yeah that's that's fine with me how long have we been here just out of curiosity i i, I think we're getting close to like three hours do what i think we're getting close to three hours wow it's not. It's not think, quite because, because, like I say, we started a little bit later, but I think we're about two and a half it's, hours. It's moving toward that. Well, I mean, this, it's it's one of the longest ones I've ever done, but I got to say, it's one of the most enjoyable ones I've done. I've enjoyed a lot of them, but this has been quite enjoyable. I've had a ball. Like, like I said, man, I I appreciate that. All right, there you go. You've reached the end, and apologies to Marshall. We do carry on nattering. Uh, well, we, we carried on nattering for quite a bit, in fairness, so I'm sorry. Uh, we, we, we chatted away way longer than we probably should have, but, uh, I just want to thank Marshall once again for coming on, uh, because I did thank him, and then we started talking about reaching people and impact, and it was, it was really great, and I appreciated everything you said, man, if you're listening to this back. You're insane if you are, because this thing is two hours long, even though I've cut stuff out. But I appreciate every good word you said, like I said in the intro, and I just I just didn't want it to be sound like I've left all the stuff in where I'm just getting all of this praise because it was it was it meant a lot to me. So I'm gonna just I'm just gonna keep that between us. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. It was probably one of the best episodes I've done, and I I I genuinely didn't think I was going to say that about the person that I had right after Lauren because I've only really interviewed three people. So of the industry people that we've had on the show, we had Kelly Polling, we had Lauren Avedon, we had Liam O'Donnell, and now we've had Marshall T. Liam is uh, is the one that I know counts, but I always forget it counts because Liam came on to talk about the raid. And don't get me wrong, he gave us some great stories about Beyond uh, Skyline in the process, but the fact that he came on to talk about somebody else's film, A, is just great because it shows how much he loves the industry, and fingers crossed, man, maybe we'll get Marshall back to do the same thing, because I honestly think we could have just turned into an episode about The Foreigner. I mean, honestly, the amount of times we went off track was just... It felt like talking to any one of my normal guests that are just massive film fans. So Marshall was very nice in the things that he said about me. But I've got to say, talking to Marshall, he's one of the most down-to-earth guys that I've, I've met in general. If, if, the, if everybody in the world could just be as nice and open and welcoming as the people I tend to have on this show, let's be honest, um, we'd have a lot less problems. So with that said... This episode's long enough, so I'm going to end it here. Thank you very much for listening. Usual service will resume next week. Take care, and I will see you all in the next one. On the